You've stopped in at the guidepost. Brought to you by the American Saltwater Guides Association. Stock up on gear, grab a coffee at the counter, and get ready to hear incredible fish stories from the best captains on the East Coast and thought-provoking conversations with stakeholders and policymakers working to protect these fisheries. This podcast is presented by Costa Sunglasses. Thank you, Cody. Next, I have Tony Friedrich. Go ahead, Tony. Hey, Emily, how are you doing tonight? Thanks, Tony. I can hear you. Okay, great. Um, thanks for the presentation, Emily. Um, we appreciate the time and effort of everyone on staff at the commission. My name is Tony Friedrich. I am the policy director for the American Saltwater Guides Association. We represent guides, fishing-related businesses, um, and for this call, over 145 of the largest brands in the fishing world and well over 3,000 conservation-minded anglers, and all of those voices supported the emergency action as well as addendum two. You know, it's been said uh, that the life, your life is a sum of all your choices, and this is very true, and it's very true for striped bass. Um, as I said before, we applaud the emergency action as well as initiating addendum two but the choices that got us here can't be forgotten. Uh, we ignored the stock assessment in 2014 when it said we'd be overfishing by 2017. Um, when we did finally take a reduction, it was too small because we hedged our bets on the robust 2011 year class and we lost that bet. We went for a slot limit during the addendum six process rather than one at 35, knowing full well that the 2015 year class would be available and harvest would spike. All of those fears came to pass in 2022 with the doubling of harvest during a critical rebuilding period. We then started the Amendment 7 process because states like Maryland and New Jersey wanted to keep harvesting, stall, make excuses. It ended up slowing the process down. However, with a little bit of luck and a tremendous amount of feedback from the entire conservation community, Amendment 7 turned out fairly positive. So anyone who is saying that this emergency action came out of nowhere has not been paying attention for about the last decade. Poor recruitment and fishing above the F rate combined with a long history of poor decisions dropped our possibility of rebuilding to an unacceptable level. So here we are, and this did not happen overnight. We look forward to the addendum two process and fully expect that all sectors will contribute equally to reducing harvest and rebuilding by 2029. That would include the Chesapeake Bay commercial fishery, which has taken essentially no reduction uh, during that addendum six process. This fishery overall contributes around $7 billion to the GDP annually, maintains over about 100,000 jobs. The best outcome for everyone is an abundant population of striped bass for generations to come. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Tony. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Guidepost. What you just heard was ASGA's official comment during the fourth and final public hearing about the striped bass emergency action hosted by the ASMFC last night. That was given on behalf of ASGA's Tony Friedrich, who I'm joined by today. Tony, how are you doing? How are you feeling after the fourth and final meeting? That one was a, a little bit of a doozy, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm, I would say discombobulated. Um, 
I think, uh, I think the, the conservation community really showed up in spades. I mean, it was, um, this is a rough count. I'm, I'm sure I missed some, but let's see. I think the count is going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 71 pro comments supporting conservation emergency action and addendum to versus somewhere in the neighborhood of like 15 to 17 negative comments. So 71 to 17. Or I'm not 15, much of a mathematician. Would you call that a majority, Tony? Yeah. I mean, our, our people should be real proud. Some of those meetings were pretty ridiculously rough to get through. Um, just listening, listening to some of the stuff. I, I'm not, I'm not going to get too much into that because I think that's what this podcast is about. We can tee all that up, but, um, but you know, like you play those, you play those drinking games, you like watch a television show and every time they say something, you take a drink. Um, there's a, there's definitely a drinking game in these meetings. Like, you know, take a shot every time someone makes a comment in the question period. Um, you know, if that one was in play last night, I probably would have been blacked out by the time that I got to yeah, my, the comment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just do it on a night that you're listening in and not commenting, but you know, Cody, a lot to, to tee this up and all the stuff that we heard, um, a friend made one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Uh, and I sent it to you today, but it is striper bullshit bingo. And pretty good. Basically you can follow the conservation debate and listen for popular excuses to win valuable prizes. And it's a bingo card. And instead of numbers, here are some of the, here's some of the, if when somebody says it, you know, you put your token down. It's cyclical anyway. All the bass are 20 miles out. Water too warm. Water too cold. I don't have it in front of me. Don't, isn't there a, we need to cull the herd that it's good to harvest yeah, them? At yeah, those, yeah, 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 yeah. Scientists are biased. Flawed data. My favorite, my personal favorite. Big fish are too old to lay eggs. I didn't know striped bass got menopause, Cody. So that's a good one, though. Um, seals ate all the bass. I want to catch. I want to be able to keep the fish of a lifetime. Open the open the EEZ. Last year was the best year I ever had. Boom. No, I just opened it if up. If we had played this last night, I I could have I could have filled 80% of the card up in five minutes. What do they call it when you get like double bingo when you get like the full cross right across top to bottom or you get the X corner to corner or something? Honestly, you probably could have filled them all in. I'm I'm looking we didn't hear bass eat all the crabs. I don't know if that was on no, one. That's because the numbers are so terrible in the Chesapeake <laughs> that they don't eat all the crabs anymore. So listen, Cody, that that, my friend, is one heck of a thing to bring up. So 
one of the things that we heard throughout these meetings, right? One of the things that we heard throughout these meetings was that um, the Chesapeake Bay, uh, oh, it's filthy and it can't support the fish and it's the end of days and whatever. Well, I didn't bring this up, okay? I didn't mention this in my testimony, which everyone heard, but I was right on the cusp of mentioning this. Um, so during the winter, uh, the Chesapeake, uh, Chess scientists in the Chesapeake Bay do what's called the winter dredge survey. And, you know, as most people know, I think the probably the most valuable fishery in the Chesapeake Bay is commercially is, is blue crabs. Um, and so in 2022, the number was horrible. We had the lowest population of males on record. Um, we had, uh, it was just, it was, it was a disaster. The numbers of females were down. Everything was terrible. So there were some huge reductions put in place on commercial and recreational crab limits. Um, recreational fishermen, uh, crab fishermen are not allowed to catch and keep females. Uh, commercial fishermen are, but, but both male and female, huge reductions put in. So Cody, are you, are you ready for the numbers? So they did the winter dredge survey 2022. They do it every year, but I'm going to give the 2022 and the 2023 numbers. Water quality hasn't changed. Nothing's changed. Nothing. There's still all the problems that we have. And, you know, blue catfish are eating everything, right? So, the, this, is a, this is from the Maryland DNR site. I'm just going to read it off. The number of spawning age female crabs increased from 97 million in 2022 to 152 million in 2023. Additionally, male crabs increased from 28 million in 2022 to 55 million. Why is that? Did climate change stop in 2023 and nobody told me? We must have put filters in every tributary of the bay and completely cleaned the water. Or did we stop killing them at a breakneck speed? Huh. I I wonder. I wonder what it could be. So, Cody, I'm, I'm bringing this up because this morning I got a text from someone and there was... All the charter boats in the Chesapeake Bay are inside the Key Bridge in Baltimore Harbor. You wanna know why? Because that's the last place there's striped bass in this bay. The last place. They have pushed everything so far north. They are inside the Patapsco River, which I might add tributaries of the Patapsco River, uh, the macro invertebrates, the the mayflies and caddisflies that live in the stream have detectable amounts of speed and methamphetamines. Just Google that. You'll find the article. The insects in the creeks have speed and methamphetamines in their bodies. Living in Florida now, I'm not sure I can judge that. I'm not asking you to judge. But <laughs> what I'm saying is they are fishing inside the key bridge because there ain't nothing left. So 
brings me to the next thing. How many times did we hear this is the best fishing we've ever had? Bullshit bingo. How many times did we hear that, Cody? Um, mixed in, including multiple hits from the same person. Probably that line itself was dropped a dozen times, maybe, tonight? Yeah. Well, I'm here to tell you, boys, what you got coming, you're not going to like. And this leads into something that I included at the, the end of my comment, Tony, right before you, which was one of these pushbacks that we're hearing is like this logical loop that's a closed loop. And what it is is more stripers. These are the same parties, the same opinions. There's more stripers than there's ever been. Fishing is great. Okay, so we're going to sh shrink the slot. That's what we think we need to do. Well, if you shrink the slot, I'm not going to be able to fill my tags. Not going to be, I'm going to lose all my customers because we're not going to be able to operate with that small slot. Well, I thought you said the fishing was so good. So is the fishing good enough that you could still operate with a smaller slot? Or is the fishing bad? And if that's the case, why would we not address the fishing? It's one of those, we're going to hit a couple of them throughout this podcast, I think. But there's like these logical closed loops that I kind of tongue in cheek said, you can't have your cake and eat it too. But I think I said, you can't have your cake and fillet it too. Yet you have to pick is fishing good. And that's your stance or is fishing bad. And that's your stance. And then how should we react to either of those two? Does the data line up with the fishing experience that you're seeing? Yes or no. You have to, you can't manipulate the data based off of your opinion of what you want to happen. You have to have at least some sort of, this is what I think about what's going on. And then we can operate accordingly from how from how you feel so it's just one of these closed loop things that you can't poke a hole in it because it just goes back on itself and we heard that one a ton and that's the one that bothers me the most is because you you kind of just have to stand by is it good or is it bad and then we'll operate off of that whether we agree or not and when you're flailing in the wind just trying to grab on anything you can you don't realize that you're throwing these donuts into the ring uh yeah, if everyone heard my comment, the thing that surprises me the most is how people think this emergency action was a surprise. I mean, didn't surprise me. We might have to add that to our bingo board, like like uh, hidden hidden timeline slash corrupt uh, corrupt commission. That would be a, a oh really my god oh my gosh oh my gosh one of the best comments was someone basically said that they were kind of a thought leader for thousands of people and then they didn't they asked why they hadn't heard of the meeting that that was a that was a belly laugh kind of thing and what was the Cody what was the other one my goodness we were talking about it earlier we were like we got to bring we got to bring this up. Um, well, the other, I mean, the other glaring, uh, like, I can't believe you just said that one was someone said that this should be no slaughter size limit. It should be every person gets to keep one bass of their size choosing, and they would take out their five to 10 customers, each catch their five to 10 bass and go right back in. Like this, that's, that's another kind of logical fallacy that has come up a ton here recently, which is once I hit my limit, I just go right back in and we never drop another hook below the, the uh, ocean sea level. 
And we go right back in because we're thought, so thoughtful about our care and impact on this fishery. And now so many more fish are going to die because you've shrunk this slot. And now I just have to keep fishing until I can get inside this smaller slot. And it's never going to happen. And so then we have to do the math of, okay, well, how many fish are you going to have to catch to get your fish within the slot? And we're now we're doing comparative analysis of 9% of something dying of X number versus 100%. But definitely bothers me. I'm in a million different groups from all the different states involved with this. And you see all these boats with ton, dozens and dozens of anglers. They've all got their fish. We're not even anti-harvest. Awesome. More on you. You're within the rules. You took your fish for the day. And then it says, we continued to release hundreds of them until the sun went down. You're never going to believe this. Book your trip next week. Hold on. I thought everyone got their one and you guys went back in to play patty cake. So you can't play. That's logical fallacy number two in our, our new bullshit bingo. More fish are going to die because the slot is smaller. Personally, I don't well, think. Cody, do logical, logical fallacy number three. If they hadn't made any changes, if there was no emergency action, we, haven't dou- we hadn't doubled harvest. These, they're going to be in the same situation in four years. There's, there's no good recruitment. It's going to be incredibly difficult to catch a 28 to 35 inch fish in like four years. When those first bad year classes start matriculating, you know, first one was 2019. So yeah, that's four years old in four years, it's going to be piss hard. And in five years, it's going to be even harder. And in six years, it's going to be even more difficult because there's none of them, there's not enough being born. So like, this is a situation that anyone deals with at any time with a slot limit. Isn't that a and, little elitist of you and out of your lane to look more than three years into the future? How dare uh, you? How uh, dare you? Uh, you know, you know, <clears throat> I think the next podcast, so we set in on the technical committee meeting today. And there's another one on Monday, and there's going to be a little more meat on the bones on Monday. But I think there's going to be an awful lot of stuff that pisses people off um, about this technical committee and and planning out the addendum. Um, I don't want to I don't want to give it away. I'll just tease it out there and say next podcast or two you should probably listen to our breakdown of the technical committee meetings because I was I was pretty miffed after. Uh, after such an awesome showing for conservation, uh, felt like none of that, none of that really came through. Um, one of the things, getting back to the meetings, one of the things that probably should be brought up is a lot of folks in the charter and party boat crowd said that they wanted sector separation. I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, they don't know shit nor Shinola about what sector separation actually is and what it looks like. So you mind if you mind if I go deep on this a little bit, Cody, and kind of explain to people what a disaster this would be? The microphone and the spotlight is all yours, my friend. So we Guides Association in particular for Stripe Bass does not support sector separation. And I'm going to tell you why. So big, a big part of everything that we do is look into the future. Uh, you know, for example, Cody is a, a young guy. He is under 30 years old. It is great to see young people getting into this and, and 
you know, all that kind of stuff, just as much as we like to see our children and grandchildren catch fish. So I'm going to ask everyone in the audience a question. If there is a third sector for guides, charter boats, you know, charter for hire, party boats, and let's say they get 6%, well, that's going to be a hard quota, right? Numbers of fish, pounds of fish, whatever. So what happens if 50 new guides want to get their license and start next year? There's less of that quota to go around. Your season's now shorter. More next people year, party and less cake to go around. Next year, 50 more guides want to start a business. So what usually happens is they cap the guides. So new people can't enter. And then the next thing that happens after that is once they cap the guides, the number of guides, now you have equity as a guide, charter boat. You have some kind of license that a hundred other people want. Some kind of permit that says I can be a striper guide. Well, and guess what happens? You get old, you turn 80, you hire a young guy to, to run your boat. You die, you grandfather it to your son or your daughter. And they have somebody run the boat, right? Right? No new people join. If new people join and old people don't fall off, you have less and less quota. So that'd be number one. Number two, a lot of the science, research, everything that's conducted that benefits the, the charter for higher sector is paid for through recreational fishing licenses. Now we know New Jersey does not have a license. We also know that other states, I don't have, other states that don't have licenses are actually revisiting not having a saltwater fishing license. And they're probably going to have a saltwater fishing license soon. New Jersey's still the only state that's like, well, we don't need that. Anyway, and and then and then the next breath, there's not enough enforcement. What do you think pays for enforcement, you dunderhead? Um, so your fishing license, right? So um, it's shocking to me that there's no enforcement if you're not funding the people who would be enforcing the rules. Shocking. That does that. That it's really hard for my feeble brain to make that connection. So anyway. Yeah. The uh, the growth of volunteerism, Marine Patrol, is not exploding. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. What was that? What were those crazy people? What was that guy's name Curtis Sliwa? The Angels or something in in not Hell's Angels, something else. They were like vigilantes in New York that would like patrol the subway in the eighties and like be like unhand unhand that lady's purse, sir. That kind of thing until like a couple of them got shot. Anyway. So you're um, saying we need them with a bunch of like uh, yeah 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 water, water yeah. level rulers running around yeah they could like z- they could zip tie the people with like seven stripers in a garbage bag and call the police that'll work I do, I do not recommend that if anyone's listening please don't do that official statement Cody you're the producer of this put some kind of put some kind of disclaimer on the front end of this one <laughs> we're kidding um, so. Sector separation. You got to pay for it now. So let me give you let me give you an example. Charter for hire in the Gulf got official sector separation for red snapper. And let me explain why that happened. Recre- pro- recreational fishermen were catching all the quota within state waters. 
charter for hire had golf permits. And they were getting like a two-day, three-day season, nine-day season. Because the entire quota was getting chewed up in state waters. I mean, Texas had a 365-day season for red snapper, four fish per person limit. In state waters. And don't even kid yourself. It's the Gulf of Mexico. Like, these, believe me, these dudes were going further than three miles out, the wreck fishery. So you had these, you had charter for hire who had paid all this money for these permits. And they're like, this ain't fair. We got like a three day season and these clowns are killing all these fish in state waters. So charter for hire fought for years and years and years and years and years. And I think their golf permits now are going for $35,000, by the way. I mean, outside, I can tell you being down here in Stewart now, if you go on Facebook Marketplace outside of, <laughs> I believe my girlfriend found uh, some guy selling a bathtub full of hot dogs yesterday. Uh, so, at, you know, Florida at its finest. We'll put that on a shelf. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, talk, we'll talk about that when we're off the podcast. Okay. But there was, uh, there was also someone selling like, you know, a Cheeto shaped like Jesus and whatever else is going on. But mixed in with that, you can find other species. Like it, it'll say someone's kingfish permit. $10,000. And, and you can see, uh, you know, different permits for sale. And, and some of those are obviously on the commercial side. But like you were saying, to bundle back in this system for striped bass, do we want people competing and selling over their chunk of the pie of striped bass? Would you want to be there? Or do you want to do what would be more under our mentality, which is, hey, why don't you just have more fish in the water and everyone can catch them? See, so them. what they want, right? The reality is it's it's just a percentage of the charter party boat community. Not many of our guides would want this, but what, what they want is either a bigger slot or more fish to kill, right? And they think that they can just, oh, we're only 5 6% of the harvest. You should let us kill more fish, you know? Because the second that we kill the fish we move on to everything else and there's the bow that was another that was another one when i go fishing i i killed the 10 fish for my 10 clients and i have zero mortality and you're like you know mortality isn't a word like prestidigitation right it, it's mortality like it's pretty common it's death so i'm going to give you i'm going to give you a piece of advice when the fish is in the cooler for let's say like an hour or two that's more, that's the dictionary definition of mortality. Open the cooler, shake it back and forth a little bit. It's not going to move. That's mortality. Um, that's a hundred percent mortality. Fundamental definition that we could put at the front of these meetings, right? We could also probably put something along the lines of like comments and question. And so like, so if, if a statement ends with a question mark, then it's a question is not a comment. If it doesn't end with a question mark, it's a state. So let's just bring this up. Let's just roll the grenade in the room. I wonder quietly to myself when this mass DMF catch and release study comes out and we have data that says, if you fish this way, you kill a shit ton of fish. And if you fish that way, you don't kill nearly as many with release mortality. I wonder how many people would be willing to adjust regulations to reflect the best available science that we get from mass DMF. If catch and release mortality is truly such a thing. Because I mean, let's do again, just say it again. 
This doesn't mean that we don't have to be better at it. This doesn't mean that you don't see people kicking bass in the sand or kicking bass through rocks or holding them out for a thousand pictures for, you know, out of the water for two minutes. All of these things happen. And we're not going to talk about it now, but we are going to help address them. Um, so you but, mean if I use the hashtag, hashtag catch and release, you're saying some of my fish do die? Yes. I'm fundamentally broken. <laughs> you know, like that's, I, I put something up personally on that, but it's so, like, well, okay, we let's, what that, right? It's a blood sport. Yeah. Okay. But let's, and, and you know what, Cody, if you're going to acknowledge that, you're going to acknowledge this. It's over a $7 billion fishery. That's what it adds to the GDP every year. It supports 100,000 100, jobs plus, okay? 97% of that economy comes from the recreational community. Charter for hire and private rec anglers, 97%, okay? Out of that 97%, to frame that, put that right there. For the last 30, 40 years, independent of regulations, size limits, creel limits, seasons, whatever, striped bass anglers have chosen to throw back between 87 and 90% of the fish that they catch. Consistent number. <laughs> right across the line. So, if 97% comes from the recreational sector, 90% of those fish are thrown back as a, more of a choice than anything else. Because if it was based on size or regulate, or you'd see it like jump, and it's literally a straight line over 40 years. So where's the economy of striped bass come from? Riddle me that. 97% of 7 billion, 90% of those fish are released. Do the release fish die? Some of them. Do they still have an incredible economic value? Huh. Yeah, just a little, folks. And do they still have a high probability of being caught again and continuing to propagate that economy? It's, if they it, didn't, nobody would get a tag return. It's somewhere between, you know, like even if you don't believe the 9%, it, it's somewhere between 0 and 10. It's not 90, right? So there is still a value, and the value on the fish release versus the fish kept is significant. Significant uh, oh. gap between those two values. Oh, actually, actually, if the fish is deep hooked, particularly in the gill, esophagus down the throat stomach and you keep it out of the water for more than two minutes it actually does have a mortality rate of like 87 percent as per the latest and the preliminary the prelim, i don't want to piss off anyone at mass dmf as per the preliminary results of a groundbreaking catch and release study that's yet to be peer-reviewed but will be peer-reviewed the preliminary numbers 87 percent you know what the, you know what it is if you hook them in the side of the face? Three percent. Three. So if somebody told me I could cut mortality by sixty-six and two thirds percent from nine percent to three percent if I if I made uh gear restrictions, oh, but they can't be enforced. Okay, tell tell that to every goddamn trout stream in the eastern US. That doesn't allow trouble hooks or bait. Tell that to them that it's not enforceable because it sure as hell made a con conservation impact on a fish that's a hell of a lot more delicate than a striper. Yeah, you the the non you know, I understand it to a it depends on what we're talking about. I understand it to a certain degree, 
but the whole non-enforceable versus, you know, self self-enforced regulation, there is just that dynamic to all of fishing the same way with slot sizes and limit, you know, there is, there is the onus on us and that comes down to fish handling too. Right. I mean, you could say we're going to put a hundred percent of them back and we're going to treat them like, you know, we're going to kiss them on the lips and take good care of them and read them a bedtime story. Every time they come next to the boat in reality, how you actually handle them is how you're going to handle them if you put them back and the rules that you do, you follow, choose to follow or do not follow that's on each individual angler. And we can't take that dynamic out of fisheries management. That is one of the unfortunate and hardest to grasp dynamics. So it's not really a justifiable argument only when it applies to uh, a push that you're making. So let's, uh, let's think about this for a second. What were some of the other, so, okay. So to, to close the loop on sector separation, what they want is for everyone to say, Oh no, the regulations won't apply to you. You just keep doing what you're doing and we'll give you what you want with no real accountability or anything, right? Yeah. That's what they want. We strongly oppose it. And I think all the shit started with bluefish a couple of years ago when it went from 15 to three for private rec anglers and five for charter and party. And that was a horrific precedent to send to send horrific. Um, but stripers aren't bluefish, not denigrating my friend, the bluefish, but stripers aren't bluefish. And if, as this, if this comes up in the addendum to process, um, our position will be, everyone needs to contribute to rebuilding this stock. It's not going to work unless everyone does. And we will vehemently oppose it. So can so, we check that off on our bingo card? Our new yes, bingo card, back to the bingo card, Cody. Digital bingo card. So let's cross off sector separation there. We crossed off fishing is good, but... The slot limit will kill my business because I won't be able to fill my limits, but fishing is still good. So that logical loop, we put an X through that one. See um, which other one did we hit? We see, oh, oh, I stop at my limit. Let's cross that one off. That's a new one in our our digital bingo card. More okay, yeah, let's line. let's Cody, let's talk about let's talk about I stop when I catch my limit. Are you sure about that? Okay, I go out and I catch one fish. I'm the god of fishing. I drop it down. One cast, I catch a fish within a legal harvestable limit, and I'm done casting. These are the gods of fishing who are going to harvest. They're that dialed in. They have x-ray vision into the size of every fish that they're casting at. Put it right on the bullet. Boom. One for one, 100% mortality rate. I'm done. I'm going in. Assuming that they do not cast again for the rest of that trip and that they never catch any fish outside the harvestable limit, and they are the masters of execution. The equivalent for someone that says they will have to fish more now to catch that one fish, they would have to catch 10 fish. They would have to catch 10 fish that do not fit inside that harvestable limit. And then rounding up to 10% on release mortality, one of those would die. So then if I go back and I'm the master god of fishing, I'm just one tier lower 
than master God of fishing. And it takes me two fish to catch my harvestable fish. And then I'm done casting. I only two, two casts. First one came up was 18 inches, a little run. Or no, I guess in these guys had, oh, I pull up a 50 pounder, Ugh, bigger than the slot. I'm so good at fishing, 50 pounder first cast. Next one, I drop it down. I get my slot fish. I've caught two. You're creeping towards, that's another set of fish that you would have to catch. And you have to, if these are two formulas that equate to each other, now I have to catch another horde of fish. And I don't think it would be because there would be a release mortality on that singular fish before. So it's not exact. So basically you're saying, okay, I go out and I'm this god of fishing, but now because the slot is shrunk, I'm going to have to catch hundreds of fish, right? It's probably in the scale of dozens creeping up to hundreds without the assumption that there's release mortality on some fish that you catch before you catch your harvestable fish. And so the math is not going to be able to exact. I'm not doing it in a whiteboard in front of me, but it starts to scale out at dozens of fish. And so it, it makes no sense. And it doesn't also add up to the same under the same umbrella that fishing is so incredible and all these fish are available. And so even if you are the God of fishing, and you only catch exactly what you're going to harvest legally, perfectly, down to a single cast, and you go back in, the math does not add up that more fish are now going to die. Because it's not even 50% or 75% on release mortality. It's nine. And we're trying to confirm whether that wavers a little bit more, or a little bit less. There are people that anecdotally think either, either way. So even to round out and call it one out of 10 to have some sort of logical perception of what's going on here, the math does not add up. That is how math works. Math is not subjective. Doesn't make any sense. You would have to well, let's, let's be honest. Fish. Let's be honest here for a second. Let's take a look at New Jersey. Okay. Hmm. Summer flounder fishing sucks right now. It's horrible. And the bluefish kind of seem to jump by them. They weren't there for very long. It's not black sea bass season yet. What are, what are you fishing for? When you say you're leaving to catch other fish right now and you're done and you got your limit with stripers, I want to know what you're going fishing for. Because there's nothing else to catch. And that's the story for a lot of areas, we don't have much left to catch. And if striped bass go away, so does the $7 billion into the GDP every year. Gone. And there's nothing to fall back on. Nothing. Couple weeks of this fish, couple weeks of that fish. Nothing. Maybe... Rhode Island and Massachusetts are just blessed with a cornucopia of things to fish for. But I'm here to tell you, New York City South, until you get to like Southern North Carolina, the well's running dry. You still have a couple things, you know, Virginia Beach, that's pretty, that's a hell of a, just a generally a hell of a place to fish cold water, warm water species, whole nine yards, but anyway, it ain't what it was. And they already lost stripers there. So anyway, 
So they must just take, they must take all their clients out They go to that first ledge, they drop them all down. Everyone catches their fish and they say, I'm sorry, you've only been out here 25 minutes. We're going to take you back to the dock. I'm sorry. You haven't had your full couple hours, but we're done. And that's and maybe, and honestly, Cody, maybe that's why they're going out of business. It's not because the slot limit got tightened, but it's because a hell of a lot of people don't want to go out for two hours. If they pay thousand, twelve hundred dollars, they want to go out and enjoy the whole damn day. So, and we're probably we're you know we're talking tongue in cheek here, Tony, because we don't think that's what's occurring, right? These fish, and rightfully so, a captain should take people out, catch a bunch of fish, have a great time. There's a release mortality on some of those fish. Whether you're using an eight weight in a small stream and you baby your fish, you know, a trout net and kiss it on the cheek before you put it back. Those people, some of their fish die. We have to accept that. These same people, everyone should have the same opportunity to catch hey, fish. Know that let me ask you a question. Die. As a Florida guide, uh-huh. do you have ever ever have anything eaten by a bull shark that's the size of a small U-boat? I've never even seen a shark in my life, Tony. Again, sarcastic. That's what I thought. Yeah, of course. I mean, you <laughs> know what? You, and stuff. when that happens, what do you do? Move, you move. Yeah. And I got a great story for you. It's not just tell, sharks. Tell them the story about the tarpon that were jittery, and you looked down in the water and figured it out. I got two. I'll, let's let's. Uh, I'll tangent here. I got two f- quick fish stories. One of them, you want to think sharks are are nasty. You know who's an absolute killer, and I think the Gulf they deal with this even more. But Mister Flipper, Flipper, Flipper. <laughs> I don't smart. want to. I don't want to get his trademark infringed, so I'm not going to put that song over there, but I am tempted right now. I've had a jack landed on the beach and a mother and baby breaching the surface, maybe call it, I don't know, 25, 30 yards away. They're kind of watching the boat. And so we trolling motor a little bit away, got the fish in the water. And I, I say, all right, we got to send her out and give her a chance. Well, I release this jack and it goes off to the left and I don't see the the uh, porpoise pop up again. So I'm thinking, all right, we give them our best chance. Da, da. So I'm retying, re- figuring out how we're going to go reposition on the school. And I'm talking to my angler and I hear, Dud! and I turn around and the head of a 25 pound jack ball, the head looks like it was sawed off, is thrown against my boat. And there is red splatter on the side of my boat. And I kid you not, this is not a bullshit fish story. This dolphin is putting its head in and out of the water with a shit-eating grin on its face. And what it was is it was showing its juvenile, okay, this is how we wait for the boats. This is what the boats do. It releases a fish. We go mess up that jack while it's quiet. So it's not even just sharks. That is one of the funnier things. I actually do have the video. It's it's pretty amusing. It's just the head of a jack. The jack's face is like telling that what just happens. Uh, and... So, but it's, it's not even those. And also with on the shark thing, I've been, you can tell a lot by how tarpon behave, how they're behaving at the surface, especially if they're in a school, that's not really groundbreaking news, but you can read their body language and learn a little bit about what you're doing. Are you too close? Do they like what you're doing and your behavior? And I was out there one time, uh, I think we were shooting videos, me and a, a video guy and these fish, I was so far away from them and I was waiting for them. They started acting finicky. And they started giving me these real, they went from soft rolls to hard tail slaps. And they come up and they go through, boom, go through, they're tail slapping on the surface. And I think I said to the guy like, what? I'm not even close. Like, big girl, why are you so mad at me? And I looked down and in the shadow of my then 18 foot skiff at the time, but two thirds of the shadow was taken up by a giant hammerhead who was sitting dorsal fin to my bow. 
hiding under my boat. And he was saying, why, why don't you just throw a fly in there and hook one of those guys and you do all the hard work and then I'll, I'll go in and get the easy meal. So these are all just dynamics we deal with. And as a captain, as a recreational angler, you have to accept it. And there's things you can do to mitigate the risks across all the different types of risk of fishing. But these are things that we do have to accept that occur. Yeah. So sometimes your stuff gets eaten. Sometimes you hook it in a bad place. And I wanted to ask you, like, you know, what do you do when you see flipper or a big shark, you pack up and go somewhere else, yep. right? You you're fishing somewhere else. Cause you know, I mean, we've had this con me and you have had this conversation. Like it's really tough to see your fish get crushed by a shark, you know, right at the boat and you don't want it to happen again. And you just kind of trust your ability to be a good guide to say like, you know, they're on us. We're going to go to another place. I'm not just going to feed sharks, right? Yep. It does no good for anyone, not for the shark, not for the fish, not for us. I'm out of here. Yep. So as striped bass anglers, I think when we get this mass DMF science, once it's uh, peer reviewed, but we look at this preliminary data, you have these wild swings and what, how a fish survives and how it doesn't. And we're going to have to, educate people and we're going to have to make those decisions. And I'll tell you, education's only going to get you so far. It's only going to get you so far. Regulation gets you a lot further. And then you get five, 10 years into the regulation and people don't even remember what it was like before the regulation. Just time. Shifting baseline. It's just a time. It's just time. You know, that's it. So, that would be correct. So let's go to what I consider to be one of the most egregious. Because, I mean, look, we had the, the – oh, that's right. I remembered. I couldn't remember what – I was like, man, we were talking about something, and we got to bring it up. Man, I, I got to tell you, I've never made any zero – Zero apologies for growing up in the South and being from the South, right? Where the where the hell do y'all get these people in the Northeast? I just want I want to, so like this I guy. Cod, you're talking about my people, okay? Well, it actually depends which state you're about to reference, but you are talking oh. about people. Oh my lord, my lord. Okay, this guy this guy gets on. And he says, hey, I'm so-and-so, and I run such-and-such -such boat, and I got a bones to pick with use. And I'm going to, you know, we, we got to do this, and we got to do that, and this is, this is it, and we're out there every day. And let me ask you, where do you get your data from? Data, D-A-T-E-R. Where do you get your data from? Well, sir... Apparently, you never experienced classical education, logic, debate, rhetoric, because you failed, my man. Because if you're talking to science-based organization with a whole bunch of scientists and you're giving comment, and your comment is, let me ask you a question, where did you get your data 
like potato, like tater. Where did you get your dater from? I'm going to share some, shine some light on something. If you don't know where they get the data from, on dater, sorry, if he's listening, dater, if you don't know where they get that from, my apologies to, to everyone who had to listen to that. I don't, I don't know how our advocates even stayed on the call last night. I mean, I was, I was sending memes around of, of people like jumping off buildings and shit. Um, it was rough to listen to that. Um, but yeah, like day one, if let me learn about Stripe Bass Management, let me learn about Stripe Bass Management so I can be a better advocate for my business or the people that I represent. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go to the ASMFC website and I'm going to click on the little tab that says management. And then I'm going to click on the little tab that says Atlantic Stripe Bass. I'm going to spend like 15 minutes reading it. And I could tell you where they get the data from. Data. Data. Um, but if you're so unprepared for one of these meetings, I mean, no, by all means, don't change because of me. You make, actually, you're making my life genuinely easier. But I don't know. If you were an electrician, would you know the National Electric Code? If you were a plumber, would you would you know the codes, the county codes and the national codes for your business? Um, I don't know, man. I don't know if you're a restaurateur, you know, would you uh would you be a part of the state restaurant and bar association? Probably if you're smart. Do you think that the advocates for those associations basically go up and be like so what's this mystical federal agency that controls food uh, it's called the fda sir um i mean it's just it's embarrassing frankly but please don't change because of us um because again it makes shit super easy uh but so it's God. Kind of, so let's check our data our data uh data distrust in data 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 however we want to say it, however, wherever you're from and however you pronounce it, we can check that box because that was hit a couple of times. You know, there was, a, we've probably talked about this a bunch in the past, but there was the expected go in on MRIP data. And, you know, it was interesting. What's interesting in the oppository side to the data recruitment concept is they kind of were in this feedback loop of your data is bad. You should trust our observations and get data from us, comma, we do not trust your data sources at the ramp. We lie to them and we don't even talk to them. So you're stuck in this another little knowledge loop. We should trust you but you don't trust the current system. So you lie to them or not willing to give accurate information to them. So that information is inaccurate. And because that information is inaccurate, we should trust you and you're the source of the inaccurate information. We're in another one of these loops here. Is the data good so or bad? Cody, I want to, I want to pause to make everyone laugh. So I'm not the brightest bulb in the, in the pack, but you use the term oppository. And I was like, shit, I never heard of that before. Is that like opposition? Is that like a different, you know, is that a derivative of the word oppose? So I just Googled it while you were talking, while we were on the thing. So this is from Thesaurusize, 
oppository, a medicine in the form of a small plug that's inserted into a body cavity, especially the rectum or vagina, where it melts at body temperature. So, <laughs> so listen, all of y'all should listen to us because we are definitely the smartest people. You should all model your lives after us and follow us blindly into the great abyss. But like, I just, I don't know. I had to do that. And if, if, if the definition had been anything else, I would have told Cody after the podcast, but it was so goddamn funny <laughs> that I had to bring it up. So we'll just say, we'll say there, I think there was some oppository going on last night, <laughs> but we were in the meeting, but we're talking about the opposition. So, <laughs> oh shit. All right. Well, if you can't laugh at yourself in opposition to not a suppository as well. <laughs> okay. But I would love your opinion and your follow up on as a master of language that I am. Let's look at, and I never claimed to be a master of language. That's my humane education. I took the cheap education. So before they try to say, oh, yeah, well, you with your fancy words, you little Harvard PhD. No, I didn't get one of those. <laughs> I, I took the cheap route at UMaine. So I got the <laughs> oppository education from the University of Maine. Yeah. <laughs> that was your I favorite was class. <laughs> it was. Exactly. Don't even get me started on. Yeah, we'll, I'll spare <laughs> this across the bow at the UMaine. Go Black Bears. But um this other logic loop that's used in opposition to these management actions and pro, uh, precautionary management. Your data is bad. We don't trust your systems. We feed bad data to your systems. Trust us. Use our data. It's a full circle. I'm the source of bad data and you should trust me. I feed bad data to your current systems. I would like a better system. So, what is a better system of data? And we, it's really hard to count fish under the water. And we also, I think, as an organization, acknowledge that none of this is perfect, right? It's all operating off of best available science and how we could look at counting okay. fish live under I'll the ask you. I'll ask you an oppository question. <laughs> what part of the data... We, we clearly lost some effing brain cells listening to that too long last night. What yeah. part of the data contradicts what these people are seeing on the water? I'd like to know that. Mm -hmm. Because the data says that there is a shit ton of fish that are anywhere from 30 to 33, 34 inches right now. Mm -hmm. And there's some bigger fish. Ain't a lot of smaller fish. Some smaller mm -hmm. fish, not a lot. MRIP is good. Best way that I can explain it is how can they how can they accurately predict something by talking to a hundred people? Well, it's a survey. It's all it's all in how they ask the questions. It's all in, you know, make sure that they have the right sample set and all that kind of stuff, and they can crank it out. And it's not good at all. It is should never. And we fought this as an association. We fought this tooth and nail. And we won. But there were. Um, states 
that drilled down to monkey around with conservation equivalency were like, how many fish were caught here in the first three weeks of April? MRIP is terrible at that. And if you look at the column all the way to the right, it says PSE, that means percent standard error. It's like 60%. But if you look at the coastwide data for the year, real broad picture, like a PSE of like 7%, 6%. Pretty effing good. It's pretty robust. So the problem with MRIP is really that people use it in a way it's not intended. But if it's telling you, there's this many fish that are this size and this many were caught over the course of the year in the entire coast. It's pretty damn good. Well, use it for what it was intended to be used for. And if you don't think that we have spoken to the Emirate people, people at NOAA, and said, how can we help more than a dozen times? How can we make it better? You'd be mistaken because we have. So. We want better data too, but I promise you this. I promise you, take this to the bank. If that data had said, holy shit, there's three times as many striped bass in the water. You guys can go back to killing two of them a day. No fucking slot limit. Minimum 28, go for it. People would have... Those same people would have done a parade, blown trumpets, and thrown rose petals in front of the scientists when they walked from the building. Because Dater you, said so. Because the Dater said so. You we might can't, have to make a detail out of this. We might have to have a little scientist that says sound data. Please, please leave uh, send comments to comments at saltwaterguidesassociation.org if you would like us to make the, the oppository Dater sticker. I think it's going to be one hell of a sticker. So... <laughs> If anyone's still listening at this point, it's because they're <laughs> as brain dead as us. <laughs> so anyway, just think about that for a second. If that dater had said you can kill three fish, those would have been the smartest scientists in the world. And here's the thing with science. You can't, you can't agree with it only when it tells you what you want to hear. Then that, that's not supporting science. Yeah. So. Science is also science. not a fact, it's a process, right? So like Man. you have to look at it as such. And and the flip side of this, Tony, is like, okay, if this is the worst data known to man and does not reflect anything any of our guys are seeing on the water, what should we use? Should should it be Captain Bob out of port whoever's catch log? Like do these fish swim through like a dozen states up and down the East Coast covering a couple thousand miles, right? Do we praise almighty Captain Bob out of Lord knows where, Rhode Island, Connecticut, Mass, New Jersey, wherever? Like, okay, Bob caught 57 today, so all is good. All hail the holy Bob. Or is it Bob and Jim's? Jim's a couple states down. He also keeps a good catch log. Are we going to use just those two catch logs? Or do we have to try to do something comprehensive that represents the scale of this situation while understanding that there is some implicit error in it? There's, we just can't avoid that. And there's a little bit of sway to it. But does that give us the best available science and the best possible comprehensive picture of what's going on here while understanding that it could always be better and it is not perfect? Should we use that? Or should we use Bob and Jim's catch logs?
I mean, that that's really is the question. If not this, then what? You know my question. position. All hail Bob. All <laughs> hail Bob. Our leader. Oh, listen, the king of all jack wagons. Remember, remember, uh, remember at the Noah Rex Summit, the the speaker who said we need to use more anecdotal information. Remember that? We're sitting in the thing and we're like, we need to use more anecdotal information in science. And I, the whole room was just half of it was scientists and there was just a hush. You could have heard a pin drop in Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know what? The 80 year old guy who hangs out at the Seven Eleven down at the end of my street because he has nothing else to do. I'm going to get all my fisher information from him. Right. Yeah. Yeah, next there was plenty of jack wagons in that room, so I'll move on. Uh, I won't oh, call yeah. them jack wagons. <laughs> yeah, and I do know everything. Science needs in- more anecdotal information. I do know everything that goes into planning those meetings. I believe at one point there was a photo talking about domestic fisheries, and there was a photo of a giant trevally in the background of the presentation. But I was I wasn't going to say anything. I don't know. Maybe maybe Captain Bob down in New Jersey is so good at dialed in that one cast harvestable uh, striped bass that he goes in and dialed in this unforeseen, unforgettable GT fishery from the surface. The GTs are at Shrewsbury Rocks again. Go get them, boys. Yeah. Um, So do we have a presentation? And no, I apologize. And it wasn't a shout at you. Thank you for doing so. But maybe Please. just holler at someone who fishes for help with your photos. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, what is, can we slide over to one of my favorite ones? And yes, this is please. one I actually like to. I don't think I'm the most morally sound, perfect human that walks this earth, but I like to think that I'm a caring person that understands that everyone has their own story. Everyone comes from different backgrounds. I am very, very, very blessed for all the opportunities I've had in my life, all the great mentors who have helped me get to place that I am, which is far from high up the totem pole, but I'm very proud and happy in my life. All of that going into the fact that I like to look at my opinion of fisheries and realize that everyone should have an opportunity to access them, whether that's someone that's got five bucks or a Walmart set up and be able to fish them from the jetty, fish them from a pier, or someone that's got a $500,000 center console, has a six bait spread with these insane kites, and they're dialed in on being the best sailfish fisherman or tuna guy or whatever that may be up and down the coast. Fishing should be for everyone. And there should be a lot of fish in the water so that everyone has a chance to catch a fish. That's my personal opinion. And I believe that aligns perfectly with what we think about fisheries. And for everyone, everyone should have a chance. So, well, let's let, yeah. So, okay, you go, keep going. I'm sorry. So within the lens of striped bass, how I feel about striped bass, they are not just for me. If I can book a $750 guided flats trip in this incredible estuary and I see them and I throw in a, a crab fly that cost me $12.99 at the local fly shop on my $100 fly line propelled by a thousand dollar fly rod. That is not just striper fishing. That's one cool way. That you can striper fish. That is not striper fishing. Striper fishing is also a clam on a rig on the bottom from someone from a pier that had an hour after work. And that's their chance to go catch a striper. And their goal is to, they're hoping to catch one within a legal limit and take it home and harvest it. That is also striped bass fishing. 
That is how I feel about fisheries. So when I heard maybe two or three times last night, I don't know if we can check it off multiple times on our bingo card. It is going to be harder for people to harvest fish. And because of this, we are taking away from underprivileged communities. I have my initial reaction to this. I have some beautiful grocery store, kitchen, stra- kitchen scratch, excuse me. I have some beautiful grocery store chicken scratch, no pun intended, because I'm going to reference chicken math to go with that. Tony, what is your initial thought that we are debilitating the underprivileged of America by shrinking this slot? So, first of all, I think it's insulting and degrading that they would suggest uh, one of a couple of meetings. I don't know if you were on it, Cody, but um, Noah came out with uh, a draft of priorities uh, for revision for the recreational fishing policy. And it's a, it's a focus of this administration to include, you know, equity and diversity in all things fisheries. And some folks referenced that as, as if they were the vehicle for that. Some of those individuals charge over a thousand dollars a day. Some of them were party boats and they charge maybe $60 a day, but there's probably also like a rod rental fee and a tip for, you know, a tip for, uh, the, yeah, the, the same, the same tapped into mock their clients if their if their client didn't leave, you know, whether it's party buddy, you, you leave a $20 bill for a tip for yeah. their mates or the same guys who say like, oh, I charge 700 and he didn't leave me a $100 tip. How dare that guy's a jackass and he's on my blacklist. So you're saying those same captains? Yes. So <clears throat> the reason why it's insulting and degrading for them to say that about striped bass is striped bass are literally the dictionary definition of providing equity and diversity. There's a tremendous amount of shoreline access. The only thing it costs you to get to the beach, if you're relatively close, is the cost of gas. Okay. I mean, shit. From from Cape May, even from Delaware. Let's let's say from, you know, Ocean City, Maryland, you can, you know, you can fish those beaches. So let's North Carolina, Hatteras, OBX. You got all of New Jersey, Island Beach State Park, uh, Sandy Hook. You have big swaths of Long Island, Montauk, for God's sakes. And you get up into Rhode Island, Connecticut, just rocky crags with structure everywhere. And then you probably have like the pinnacle of it all, Cape Cod. That little ass state's got more shoreline because it's like all these crazy ass little islands and big hook around Cape Cod and all that kind of stuff. It is the definition of providing access to saltwater fisheries for people who don't have a heck of a lot of money, underserved communities. Because you can go to Walmart. Spots, I think about 10 of the spots that I fished on Cape Cod a week and a half ago, you could hook a striper within 50 feet of where you parked your car in a public parking lot. So my point here is, to suggest that they provide that service to underserved communities when the reality is, I mean, look, man, we got some expensive shit. Let's be honest. Do you really need it? I mean, under some circumstances, yes, you do. And, you know, it's always nice to have nice stuff if this is your passion. Mm-hmm. But, you know, be honest, man. When I, my first surf fishing thing, I had like a, shit 40 dollar 
a Berkeley lightning rod and a crappy ass little graphite spinning reel and some, uh, some, some purple string that if I looked at it wrong, would not up. There's probably 14 pound test, probably three years old. It comes with oh, a yeah. little tackle box that has like two egg sinkers, yeah, yeah, two curly yeah. tail gloves, and yeah, two. I, I used. I didn't use a Mister Twister, um, but you know, I mean, like a five dollar diamond jig and launch that shit from the surf. You catch a striper, right? They're not particularly smart. They love the surf zone, and the one thing is, there's got to be enough of them for them to show up with consistency. Surf fishermen are the first group that loses. When the striped bass population's down, the first group, first ones, boom, they're out of the game. Right? Well, to suggest, so, 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 so here's, let me, I'll close the loop on this. So you're, they're saying you should let me kill, you should let me kill more fish because Noah said this was a priority. First of all, gentlemen, you're not allowed to catch stripers more than three miles off of shore. What does Noah regulate? the EEZ, which starts three miles off of shore. So you kind of miss the target on that argument because Noah has nothing to do with striped bass other than collecting the data, right? So you miss there. And the other thing that you missed is when they're, when you kill more of them and they're not as abundant, you are doing the polar opposite of looking out for diversity and equity. Polar opposite. So shame on you for saying that. Heard you say it. Heard a bunch of you say it. And that is the weakest assed argument I've ever heard in my life. And I'd, I'd prefer if we didn't hear it again or I don't know. It's just, it's, it, was, it was distasteful. Right. Captain Bob of the SS Mother Teresa and all their uh, lower income community work that they've done. All I know is a little bit different down here and a little bit different on some of the specialized vessels, but you know, on a party boat, if someone's 60, $75 in to their experience on the water, they catch a top end slot fish. What are they taking home, Tony? Maybe five, six pounds of meat. If they're pretty good with a, like, you know, you got a mate that's a stud with, he's down to the absolute rib cage and he's getting every piece of meat off there possible. Five, six pounds of meat at, 75 bucks for the experience plus you know their that's their cost maybe they leave a, a tip and is there a rental fee or whatever call it i don't know 60 75 bucks get five six pounds you're somewhere around 10 to 12 dollars a pound for what they're taking home do the underprivileged communities of america have 12 dollars 10 dollars a pound to spend on a perishable item if they did could they not Take that 75 bucks, go to Aldi where chicken is $2 a pound and walk home with $35 or 35 pounds worth of chicken that they wouldn't even have enough fridge space. To, you know, it's, we don't need to dive that deep into it. The math here is just, it's just kind of insulting. Like you said, right? Like, oh, I am the mother Teresa of our coast and I take the underprivileged who are scraping pennies out and I am the way that they feed their families. It is a blunt statement. Guided fishing trips are never the cheapest way to feed your family. Now, I don't, I don't think someone shouldn't be able to go out and get some food for their table and enjoy the experience of catching their own food and taking it home. Yeah, but it's not That's a, it's not a vehicle. It's for not the people. path to solving 
I don't know, man. I, anybody who's saying that, guess what? Has never they never been really poor. They never been really poor in their life. Because when you when you're sitting there and you got a little bowl of rice and you're sharing it with your dog, you know, and and you don't know how you're gonna pay rent or anything else, you ain't like, oh, huh? Let me hop on a party boat. Or let me hop on a charter vessel and I'm going to get two fillets of striped bass for God knows how much money and I'm going to feed myself. Yeah, shooting a goddamn squirrel with a pellet rifle and hoping your neighbors don't see you and skinning the thing and throwing it into a pot with whatever you got into the fridge. I mean, that's starving, man. Like, it's, it, look, I don't know how somebody can say that with a straight face. Beats the hell out of me beats the hell out of me when you can literally take a bus to the beach, get out with your fishing rod and catch a striper in 10 minutes. If there's a lot of them around and then go home and eat it. And that rod that costs you 60 bucks and the lure that costs you five bucks, you keep reusing them and reusing them and reusing them and reusing them and reusing them. That's when it makes sense. That's when it makes sense to suggest otherwise. I mean, I guess you can say whatever you want in the comment period. We heard it all. But oh, I mean, what a what a blight. Um yeah, it's, it's just it's just kind of like you're it's so cringy, dude. It's it's like the cringiest thing you could hear. It's gross. And we're also not saying that there has to be a certain someone has to have a certain monthly income. You don't have to make a lot of, if you want to pull up your pennies, if you're someone that's a little bit lighter on your annual salary, but you still choose to spend a big portion of your income on guided fishing trips. We're not saying that you shouldn't be able to fishing is awesome. And if that's what you love to do, get out there. Oh, dude, dude, I saw, I saw a meme. I saw a meme today. And the guy's like, he's like, Oh, you see all my expensive fishing gear. And a person was like, wow, you must be rich. And he's like, no, I'm just completely irresponsible. Yeah. Like, no, if you want to do, we're not talking down on those people. Our, this past couple minutes of commentary has nothing to do with the person paying or choosing to not pay to step on said boat or if they're fishing from land. It has nothing to do with it. Fishing is for everyone. It's not a justifiable no, dude, dude, let, me, let me put a real, let me put a real fine point on it and get us out of this little thing. I've been poor in my life. Poor. And if you're if you're sitting there trying to figure out how you're going to make it every month. You're not thinking about recreation very much. Period. The end. Your mind is in a different place. Okay. And for it actually to be a viable thing that can, your skill set of being a fisherman can get you out of the, what the hell am I going to eat tomorrow situation? and you live close to the coast, a striped bass is a good goddamn answer if there's a lot of them around. Because they're not smart. You can catch them on just about anything. You don't need expensive gear most of the time. And and their abundance can help you, can help people like that over the hump for sure. But when they're not around, your next option isn't, I'm going to go out on a guided trip, right? Your next option is chicken at Aldi's or whatever, you know, that's it. Period. The end. And if you've ever been and poor in your life, you're shaking your head because you understand what I'm saying. 
So and we're not knocking chicken at Aldi too. They actually got pretty good chicken at a pretty cheap rate. It is kind of annoying when you forget your quarter in the car, so then you can't get your card out front. But I've shopped many a time at Aldi, and they actually have some pretty decent deals. Good way. I was telling you, you man, Royal Farms, man, that's a little gas station, gas station chicken by us. Woo. $8 mixed white dark meat. You get like seven, eight pieces of chicken. Slap your mama good. Slap your mama good. Watch them make it right in front of you. Um, All right. So let's, let's round it out, Tony. We've gone through our bingo card. We've hit, we've hit sector separation. We've hit stopping at our limit. I always stop at my limit. We hit fishing's good. We can't fill tags. We fish more. We hit more fish will die if we got a smaller slot. We fished. I'm the holy Jesus of fishing, and I serve our underprivileged communities through my boat. Are there any other ones we haven't checked off? Just from this is just in reference to the last night's meeting. I mean, science science denying. There's where'd you get your data from? Uh, uh, there's more fish out there than I've ever seen. Um, we don't catch we our limit. Did we hear climate change last night? I don't think so. No, no, no. So maybe I think that, I that addressed that problem. with the crab stuff. Mm. You know, it's it's just a it's a don't fall for it. I'm not a climate change denier, but anyone listening to this, when you hear that, they've co-opted the discussion and used it to suit their own narrative. And when you hear somebody say that, that's saying they should be allowed to kill more fish. It's just some BS line that they say. So don't, don't buy it. Don't, don't feed into it. Don't, don't play the fool. They're, they're co-opting the argument, using it for their own potential gain. Um, I'm trying to think like the, trying to do the oh, well, all the, okay. Well, this one, we, we've been, look, we, we've done this. What I would like to say, if you made it this far, everyone is man, there were a lot of good comments. Now we're, we're done. We're done beating up the 14 to 16 chuckleheads. There are a lot of damn good comments. A lot of good ones. A lot, a lot of folks from New Jersey stepped up and gave that state what for, for wanting to go out of compliance. A lot of people from all up and down the coast, tons of guides, tons of businesses. We need abundant fish populations. You know, that's what we need. We need to bring these fish back. This is what's best for my business. This, I want my children and grandchildren to catch them. We agree with the emergency action. We agree with addendum two. All that How stuff. about uh, I'm from New Jersey and there are a lot of conservation-minded anglers here. Our voices just aren't heard. Heard that one. That one was good. Uh, I liked one that said, there's so many parties involved with this. I think it's closing line was finally the fish one for once, a party that we often forget. Really liked that one. That was kind of a bar. Um, I liked responsibility of the guide. And guide is a position of influence. So it's on us as guides to educate our consumers. And I think that was in reference to negative Nancy saying, I'm getting so many canceled trips now because the slot is shrunk, which in my opinion is like, okay, most of the time, I bet most of your customers don't even know the slot is shrunk until they show up at the dock and you tell them, right? And so in response to that, it's a role of responsibility. You tell them why the slot is shrinking, why they need to understand this and why fishing can still be fun and they can still get their fish. 
I thought that was a really good point. Those are three of my favorites. No, there was, I mean, there was like a tsunami of um, a lot of different personalities, a lot of different people, a lot of different states, given really heartfelt, well thought out testimony. Um, and hopefully gives the commissioners the support to do the right thing. Because I hate breaking it to everyone, but this just started. Like this emergency action is just the beginning. We still we still have to get to 2029. We have to still have to work our way through addendum two. We still have to do about a million things. So this is just a glimpse on the road ahead. And, you know, all I can say is, you know, this is probably like round four. Uh, we won round four. But technical committee's meeting, they're setting up the document, which will be discussed at the commission meeting the first week in August. And we're going to keep y'all up to date on all of it because it's probably going to get a little bit worse before it gets better, folks. So I appreciate everyone listening to this it's not very often that we just decide to beat up on folks in a comment period but you know after listening to what my goodness eight to ten hours over the course of four meetings of people saying the most ridiculous things i've ever heard in my life some people we thought we'd bring it up this is less um, of a podcast and more of a therapy session really Oh man. Yeah, I'll go with that. Um so make, check it's out making the, me it's, it's making me understand that a University of Maine education wasn't as valuable as I thought it was at the time. <laughs> um well I'll tell you what, uh next podcast probably gonna be a little bit about stripers because this next meeting's on Monday. Um we're gonna start ramping up redfish. We got to save us some redfish in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, you know, we just got kind of stuff flying at us uh, left and right. I'd say in the next month, we got some pretty big announcements. We're, uh, we're pretty happy at the way things are shaking out at the association. And the last thing I'll say is we couldn't do it without our loyal supporters and listeners and members and crazy group of fishing nutbags that we're very proud to represent. Thank y'all all for coming out and stepping up and giving your comments and, you know, spending hours listening to crazy people prattle on. Um, you made a difference. It was worth it. Cody and I thank you and the rest of the ASGA team. And we'll see you on here again real soon.